Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series on the book of Revelation as he speaks about the black and the pale horse and their prophetic significance. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. How is everybody doing? Good? As you know, we've been in our Revelation series entitled Overcomers. And we uh, have alluded to the fact that we're flying a helicopter over Revelation, not a jet. Okay? We're not just breezing past the whole thing. We're going to breeze where we need to breeze, but we're going to hover and stop where we need to stop and hover. And this has been one of those scenarios as we went through the four horses of the apocalypse. So we covered the first one. Um, A few weeks back, we just covered the second one last week with the red horse and what a timely message that was as we uh, brought some truth to um, uh, what's going on in our world today and what we see and how that supports scripture and uh, everything that's foreshadowing what is to come. So if you missed that message, you need to go back and check that out. But today we're going to look at the final two writers together. And the title of the message today is The Midnight Riders. The Midnight Riders, because we're going to be looking at the black horse and the pale horse. You know, in 2020, we saw the unimaginable take place in our society. Our lives changed in one day, did they not? We saw society close down. We saw the things we used to love and plan and enjoy to do be not available to us at that time. We saw this followed by scarcity of some resources because of supply chain issues, where we saw empty shelves in the grocery store in America, and many went to panic and fear even in that moment. And albeit, praise God, that was a temporary deal because of the pandemic, recently we know that there's still some supply chain issues as a result. But we also know that we've seen significant inflation the past year on everything that we buy. Everything from your gas, to your houses, to your cars, to your clothes, your food. In fact, even recently, the biggest kind of thing you see on Facebook is is the price of eggs. And everybody got a dozen eggs and be like, don't lowball me. I know what I got, right? You know what I'm saying? Whoever thought eggs would be that expensive. And not, not uh, everybody's being hurt by it. Some people are actually benefiting from this inflation, believe it or not. Seen some uh, recent chickens that are weighing in on their income because there's a chicken that uh, has been seen with the uh, bling, if we can get that picture up, looking like royalty. So he's making do on his eggs for sure. And then another chicken, he's took all his proceeds and he went and took a Caribbean vacation with his family. So um, not everybody's suffering horribly. But even though, add a little lightness to the situation, though this is bad and nobody wants to pay what we're paying for a lot of the things we do, believe it or not, it's bad, but it's not the worst that's ever been seen, and it's not the worst that will still be to come. That's what we're going to look at today, all right? There's a word called hyperinflation, which is the rapid and massive, unimaginable increase in prices on all your goods. In Hungary, just after World War II, prices doubled every 15 hours. You imagine that? Every 15 hours, prices on stuff doubled. More recently in Zimbabwe, prices doubled every day. So we've seen instances, real-life instances, where inflation was not just minimal. It was massive, and it was life-changing. There's a time coming during the tribulation period of the world that it's never seen before. Jesus spoke about that in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, that there's a great tribulation coming unlike anybody has ever seen. As we've looked at these first two horses, now these other horses are about to come on that we're gonna look at, and we know these first four horses start what's known as the tribulation, right? 
Jesus opens that first seal, the white horse comes on, that begins the tribulation period as the Antichrist signs that treaty with Israel, that seven-year peace treaty, which he will break midweek, right, according to Daniel, that's halfway through the tribulation at three and a half years. So that started this. But then these other horses and their riders come galloping onto the world scene. We've seen the first two. Now what will the next two bring? Will it be significant? The biggest question is, as we look at this, this isn't to bring anxiety or fear, but like we talked about, Bible prophecy is there to encourage us, not to discourage us. It's there to enlighten us, not to frighten us. So that's not the message you need to get today. What you need to know is be aware of what the Bible says. You're going to learn the Bible today. We're going to make disciples today so you can bring understanding to God's word. And then out of that, you're going to exude hope. Hope that if you're in Christ, a guaranteed hope, know that you won't have to be here for this because the rapture will take place prior. We've gone through that message a few weeks ago. But then also to light a fire under you and me to share the gospel, to reach people for Jesus and to make disciples so that other people don't have to go through and see any of this as well. So how can this encourage us? Just by what we just said. But it'll also, I believe, move us to live a life that's spirit-led, filled with holiness and walking closer to Christ and God. Because when even the first church, the early church, they were big on prophecy and it motivated people to live a life pleasing to the Lord because we want to honor him. So that is the message today as we look at what will come in these midnight riders and the hope we have in Christ in the midst of it. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we're here to magnify you. Lord, to glorify you, to make much of you. Because you're our God. You're our Savior. You're our answer. So Lord, I pray, Father, as we seek you today, as we dive into your word, Father, we will hear your truth, and Lord, it will change us. It'll make us feel appreciative for the things we do have today, knowing that at the blink of an eye, they could be taken. Lord, not, let us not take anything for granted we have, but then look to live a life that's pleasing to you, Father, that is surrendered to you, that other people can see Christ in us, and help us, give us opportunities to reach people with your gospel, with your hope, with your love, with your truth, that other lives, other hearts can be changed for eternity. So Lord, we ask you to go before us, prepare our hearts and our minds for the message that you want to have for us today. And Lord, that we would leave here changed. And you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have a copy of God's word, you can turn with me to the book of Revelation. Still in chapter 6, and we're going to read the passage of verses 1 through 8 again just to encapsulate all of it, but specifically we're going to be looking at that third and fourth seal today. So the Word of God says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6 in Revelation. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So as we look at this passage, 
and we look at these two last horses that come up on the scene, when you read verses five and six, one might look at that and say, well, man, that doesn't seem so bad right there. What's the big deal about that? A dude on a horse with a pair of scales and I'm, I'm getting some wheat for a penny. That sounds like a deal to me, dog. I mean, I what's, what's tribulation about that? Well, believe it or not, it's the worst you could imagine. So we're going to dig that up and look at it and bring clarity to the scripture. All right. So what this points to all this is a great famine and time of inflation on the earth during the tribulation. Okay. And we're going to exegete that out. But this black horse and what's described there points to a great famine and inflation across the whole earth during the tribulation. And we see that by the color of the horse and the scales that are in the rider's hand. All right. We know the color of the horse has significance. First with the white horse, right? White means to kind of bring peace. So that's what the Antichrist wants to do. But then also he is the false Christ. He's the Antichrist. We know Christ later in Revelation comes on the white horse. So he is mimicking Christ in that white horse. So there's reason for the color. The red horse, of course, of last week with war represented bloodshed from all the loss of life during war. So now we come to this black horse, and we know the color black in the Bible can represent a few different things. It, can, of course, can represent evil, can represent famine, suffering, death. So how do we know specifically what it points to here, all right? How do we know it's talking about famine? We're going to see that, all right? So if you remember, I'm going to take you back just a minute again. When the Babylonians overtook Israel destroyed the temple, okay? They laid Jerusalem under siege during that time. So during that time, there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament that point to a famine in that city during that time when it was under siege. People could not find food, all right? So I want you to have that picture. So now um, inside of that, because the people thought the God had turned their back on him and, and were going through all this, they wrote the book of Lamentations. Lamentations was written, okay, with this cry of God's people back out to him, all right? So we got the picture and the scenario of the time. Read, let's read Lamentations chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Lamentations chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. And we're going to see how this color black kind of points to some famine, all right? It says, now their appearance is blacker than soot, They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. So we see, obviously, it's pointing to a time of famine where people are, are dying because of lack of food. And what does it say about their appearance? It's blacker than soot. Well, what does that mean? Well, how do you get blacker than soot? All right, just because there's no food. Well, you think about it, this city and the temple, everything had been destroyed. The place was in ruins. It was dirt. It was dusty. You ever been around a construction site? It's nasty. So as these people were scrounging around looking for food, they were getting filthy. Okay, to the point where their appearance was black with like soot, it says, because why? Because when you're hungry, you're not really worried about taking a bath. You know what I'm saying? You don't really care about what you what you smell like. You want something to eat because you want to stop the the, the hunger in your body. You want to nourish your body. So this is pointing to that time right there. So also, let's look at Lamentation chapter five, verse 10. Lamentations chapter five, verse 10. Same way, during this time, this is in the King James Version I want to read. It says, our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you get into science, you know that during times of malnutrition, where the nutrients aren't through the whole body and even in the skin, even brief sun exposure can cause a super hyperpigmentation sunburn. That that's, leads to a, a leathery black appearance, all right? So pointing uh, here to our skin was black like an oven for being scorched from the malnutrition during the famine, all right? So any time that this color black here was represented, when, when this was read about this black horse, the Jews, of course, knew immediately it was talking about Famine. They knew what it symbolizes, okay? If that wasn't enough, just by looking at the color, we know that the Bible says this writer had a pair of, a set of balances in his hand. What's a balance? It's like scales, okay? 
all right? And this scale, we're going to be used to measure and ration food, all right? Well, how do you know that, Brad? Let's go back to the Bible again, all right? Let's look this up. In Ezekiel chapter 4, you can turn there, all right? Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, all right? I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation here this time. It says, Then he told me, Son of man, I will make food very scarce in Jerusalem. Okay, with it. It will be weighed out with great care and eaten fearfully. Do you see that? It'll be weighed out. It'll have to be a scale and weighed out to proportion to measure food. And then as the Bible says, they'll be eaten fearfully. Why would you eat fearfully during a time of famine and scarce food? Well, one, because you're worried it's not going to be there again. It's going to run out. But second, there's other people that are looking for food. And if you have some, what are they going to try to do? Take it. Maybe beat you. Maybe even kill you because they're looking to sustain their own life and their family's life themselves. So they even, they measured it out and they ate fearfully. It says the water will be rationed out drop by drop and the people will drink it with dismay. Lacking food and water, people will look at one another in terror and they will waste away under their punishment. So we see, and this is not pointing to end time famine, we're just looking back at famine in, in Jerusalem and how we can get a picture of what's to come just with what happened inside there at that time of there. So we know there's gonna be a time coming where a famine's gonna take place and food will have to be weighed out or measured so that it will last, okay? Okay, great, well, how bad's this gonna be, right? So we, we get that. There's going to be some famine. There's going to be some things going on. How bad is it? The Bible's going to explain that. And see, we know we've had famines before, right? But never one like's going to come during the tribulation period after the rapture, okay? So this is God's judgment, really, against sin and evil on earth. How do we know that? We look at the Bible again. We see in verse 6, it said, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. Remember, we had that message back in chapters 4 and 5. What was, what was amongst the four living creatures there in heaven at the throne room? It was the throne of God. So this voice coming from the midst of those four living creatures is the voice of God. All right, Jesus opens the seal. God the Father is exclaiming what is to come. All right? So we know that this will happen. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, okay? So it points to right here what we're going to get at. How bad is it going to be? It's going to be really bad because not only is there a lack of food, there's going to be horrible inflation around it. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says right here, if you have the uh, New King James Version, all right, it says that there's going to be a quart of wheat for a denarius, all right, or three quarts of barley for a denarius. If you're reading in the King James Version, it'll say uh, for a penny, all right, instead of a denarius. And again, one might say, well, man, a penny for a quart of wheat, that ain't so bad. That sounds pretty cheap to me. What are you talking about inflation? How, how do you point to that? Well, if you look, this word penny, all right, or denarius in the Greek is the word denarion. And it's where they get the word denarius. And it was the Roman denarius, the silver coin, that was representative of a day's wage for an average working person. Okay? This is a full day's wage for an average working person. A couple of the translations even point to that and say a day's wage. This denarius, as a day's wage, is also referenced by Jesus in the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. So you can go back and have reference to that and know that we're talking about a day's wage here. Okay, So we're talking about a full day's pay just to buy a measure of wheat. Okay, What we're going to see is these prices are probably about 12 times higher than normal. Okay, 12 times higher. That'd be like... Uh, 1,200% increase, okay? So what we have is a time where you got to work all day for a measure of wheat. So now what's the next question? What's a measure of wheat? That means nothing to me, right? Okay, well, let's look at this. What's the Bible say, all right? If you have certain translations, it may say the quart, a measure of wheat, may say two pounds of wheat, six pounds of barley if you're in the NIV, all right? But this measure of wheat is what it takes, when you look back, is it what it takes to make one loaf of bread. Got the picture now? So you're working all day to buy what? 
one loaf of bread. That's enough to feed one person for one day, okay? So you're working all day, not so you can pay your bills, just so you can have a loaf of bread to eat for one day for one person, okay? Get that picture? How do you know this? Well, if you look back, Greek historians look back at at the military and what they gave for field rations to keep soldiers alive during times of war. It was the bare minimum they would need to sustain themselves for one day, and they would have this measure of wheat. That means there was no extra, there was no leftover. It was just enough to sustain them for that day, okay? So this points, again, to runaway inflation. Who could imagine a time where you have to work all day just to feed one person for one day? It's unimaginable in the world we live in right now. But it's coming a time where it will take it just to have enough money to buy enough food for one person for one day. Symbolically, we look in, and what's this progression? We know that Real world, real world crises like the war we talked about last week, usually after war, especially potential nuclear war, like what we talked about last week, can bring on what? It's going to devastate food supply, right? And that brings on famine, and it also brings on inflation, all right? So we can see this process of supply and demand and everything that happens, all right? So this is the kind of poverty that we're looking at that threatens a person's life, not just their lifestyle. You see, 2020 just threatened our lifestyle. This is going to threaten people's lives. It's going to be devastating. All right? So a day's work, small loaf of bread, no money left over to buy anything else. In other words, life will be reduced to its barest necessities. It won't be like what we see today. Okay? You don't want to be here for that. All right? Also, it points to people having to go to a lower food quality here to sustain their family, all right? We just talked about one loaf of bread is enough for one person for one day. What if you have a family of three, four, five? How do you feed them? If I'm working all day just to buy bread for me, how do I feed my wife, my kids, right? Great question. The Bible points it out here. Or if you don't have, if you can't just uh, get the bread, you've got to drop down to barley, okay? It's a lower food quality that will have to be sought after, all right, during this time. So, because it says the same way, this penny, this denarius, for three measures of barley, all right? So wheat and and grain was was the main food for the day, but barley was lesser quality because it was cheaper, and it also had less nutrient value, Most times it was used to feed animals, okay, because of its lower nutrient value. But there's coming a time where to feed families, people are going to have to resort to this. So you're not just going to be going to the store and buy the Walmart brand Fruit Loops instead of the brand name Fruit Loops. That's not what it's talking about, all right? There's coming a time where people may even have to resort to buying animal food to feed their family, whatever you can find to eat to give nutrients and sustain life. It's going to change, all right? All the money a man makes for a day just to feed his family cheap, non-nutritious food with nothing left over. All right, what is this saying? Life on earth as we know it right now will not exist in the tribulation. That's why it's bad. That's why you don't want to be there. That's why we want to reach as many people with the gospel right now and and authentically make disciples for Jesus that are surrendered to the cross so they are going to glory to to have the fullness of Christ and hope for eternity and not have to be on this wretched earth during the time where God's wrath falls upon it for sin. And I know this message doesn't make me popular, but I just got to preach the Bible. (laughs) I just got to preach his word, guys. I know you can go to a thousand other churches and get your eels tickled today. You can go get them tickled, but this is truth. And I want to preach because I want people to surrender to Christ so they don't have to go through this. And so that we can reach people so they don't have to go through this. We're not just building a building over there to squat in. We want a tool to reach the community for Christ. This is serious. This isn't a joke. I take God's word serious. Here's the scary thing. It's not going to affect everyone, though. Look at this. 
God said at the end, after he said this quart of uh, wheat for a denarius, three measures of barley for a denarius, then he says, but do not damage or do not hurt the oil and the wine. What does that mean? It means some people are going to have the luxuries of life still. Who? Thought we just talked about everybody in this massive famine in time of inflation. They will be. But even while the lower class, the middle class, the upper middle class, and maybe some of even the lower upper class are suffering and in famine and scrounging for food, there's going to be a class of elite that still not only have all the necessities of life, but enjoy the amenities of life. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. There's going to be a certain group of leadership of rich and super powerful that will stock their shelves with finest products and and have all the food they need and will still have the money they need to go enjoy the finest of life. So what does that mean? This points to a greater divide between the rich, the extreme rich, and the poor. What do you think that brings in terms of people's heart and attitude on earth? Rebellion, hate, division, animosity, chaos, panic, fear, unfairness. Food so expensive, only the wealthy, the extreme wealthy will have enough. And not only will they have enough, they'll be able to partake in the luxuries of life. So only the elite or leadership, possibly even the politicians, are the only ones who escape the famine. Everybody else suffers. So you have the suffering of the masses, which makes this more unbearable for them as they watch the privileged few enjoy life. It causes this uproar and rebellion. You know, we saw some of this even back during the time of Hitler. Where a lot of Hitler's administration and commanders would enjoy the finer things in life where the Holocaust Jews were beside them starving to death. Kind of gives this picture of what's to come. So inside of this, get this whole picture. This global economic crisis will set the stage for the Antichrist to come in and institute his global control of buying and selling. Do you see how this all fits together? Do you see how this all comes in, guys? Everybody wondered, well, how would the Antichrist be able to come in and take control and make people believe him? Because he's going to come in and he's going to say, ho, 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 I've got the answer. Hey, this isn't fair what's going on where some can enjoy life and others not. I'm going to make peace and everybody's going to be able to have, okay? So they turn to him as their answer. They turn to him as their savior. And that's when he comes in and institutes his answer as the mark. Now you can take the mark and everybody can have. You just got to take the mark. Read Revelations chapter 13 for me. Turn there. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. Revelation 13, 16 and 17. It says he causes all, A-L-L, all right? Remember there was a, there was a division before He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor. So now everybody, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one, no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Some people would say, oh, man, that mark stuff, ain't nobody going to believe that. Ain't nobody going to take that mark. Yes, they will, and they'll do it gladly because of what's going to happen on this earth. Why don't you think about that? It would be such desperation from those left behind that they'll ignore the Bible and they'll take the mark just to save themselves. God doesn't want you here for that. He wants you in this age of grace to surrender to him, to have hope, joy, peace in this life, and to miss the worst of what is to come. All right? And at this point, the tribulation's just warming up. It's not even the worst of the worst. So now, we've got the black horse, I think, thoroughly described and discussed, and we can see that although... At surface value, when you just read that passage, it doesn't seem so bad. But when you dig deep in and you bring meaning to the scripture, it's as bad as it can get. 
So now this next horse and its rider comes on the scene, okay? So we're introduced to the fourth seal that he opened. And the word of God says, so I looked and behold, a pale horse come up. So this color pale, like we understand the other colors. I mean, white, you got red, you got black. We understand that pale. What are we talking about here? What's the color pale? Okay, we're not talking the pale color of uh, Larry Bird, all right? So it, it's, it's, it's not pale in terms of, of Larry, okay? Um, great basketball player, horrible tan, okay? But um, so it's not pale like that, how we look at pale. If you look at the Greek word, it's the Greek word chloros, okay? It actually means green. So it's where we get our word chlorophyll. So we know when we're talking about plants, we're looking at bright green color, okay? But... Where'd you get pale from? If you're talking about people or in terms of opposite of plants, then this color pale is a greenish yellow pale color, all right? In other words, it's the color of death, of like a corpse, of the skin after loss of life. So this rider on this horse is essentially death personified, okay? All right? What do we mean by personified? If you take an inanimate object or an idea and you give lifelike character to that, okay? This is not an actual person that's coming. The only actual person on the horse was the Antichrist. Everything else, else is personified. So this rider is death personified, be it like the Grim Reaper, if you will. I don't know. We know the Grim Reaper is not real, but we know the Grim Reaper represents death personified, right? You see that? You, you think death. So that's what this is pointing to the personification of death. Who's following? What does the Bible says? It says Hades is following this writer. Look at that. If you have certain translations of the Bible, it goes ahead and says, and hell followed with him. This word for hell or Hades is the Greek word Hades, all right? That literally translates to hell, okay? So we know what's hell, Hell is the place where our, the soul of an unbeliever goes when they die, all right? We got to get that voice. We got to get that, that picture. So if you don't know Christ, you die, you, your soul goes to hell. Your body stays here in the grave or whatever, okay? Your soul is eternity separated from God in hell. So it says hell is following this rider, okay? So this is the same word, of course, that, uh, that Jesus used in account of the rich man in Hades. And you go back and, and you can catch that in the, in the Gospels, all right? But as you remember that picture, you know that this rich man that was in Hades was in torment, right? Do you remember that account where, where he could see Abraham and he couldn't get help from him and he, and he couldn't go back and he was, he was telling him, hey, go, 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 go tell my brothers, Right? So he could see, he could remember opportunities he had to accept Christ, to come to the truth, but he was separate from the ability to change it. And he had to deal with the consequences of that unbelief. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to point to this here. There is no reason for anybody to be in that place. God has made a way out through his son Jesus. The bridge to cross over, that you can have eternal life and not have to worry about eternal separation from God. The only reason people will end up there is because of their own foolishness and stubbornness and their love of darkness and sin rather than light. That's what the book of John tells us. So we know here we got death, we understand that. Death meaning refer to the death of the body. We have this reference to hell, meaning, of course, the death of the soul, okay, where it even actually it exists for eternity in hell, but it's where the soul goes. So we have this reference of body and soul. I want you to get that picture, all right? So why is hell following death during the tribulation? Because most of the people on earth at this time don't know Jesus, the church has already been raptured, okay? The people left obviously didn't know Jesus or they would have been taken up. The few that come to Christ during this time are few and far between here initially until Israel turns as, as, as Christ comes and makes himself manifest to them. But in the meantime, through all this tribulation, through all this hardship, the souls that die are spending eternity away from God. So as death comes on the horse, hell follows collecting souls. 
no reason to be there. See reference to this in Revelation 20, chapter 12 and 13. You can flip over to that where it's talking about the great white throne judgment and it'll give this reference to the body and the soul even of the unbelievers being reunited before they're cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verses 12 and 13 says, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Catch this, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. That's what we just talked about. So death, meaning the body, Hades, the soul, So the body and the soul will again come together for unbelievers at the great white throne judgment, all right? And then says, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So you see this at the end, body and soul together and gone. The Bible points to there in this Revelation 6 passage, how would, how would they be killed? What does this writer have going on? Well, it says sword, okay, which points to war. We already talked about the red horse and the war that turns into the tribulation period. Famine, we talked about that with the black horse. And then it adds these. It adds pestilence and wild animals, okay? So disease. We know a lot of times disease follows famine, times of extreme famine and such. So people will be losing life over a lot of different scenarios. Wild beasts, this is uh, somewhat confusing to some people, um, but it basically points to animals, to wild animals. Well, well what's going to happen right there? What is this pointing to? I heard some people say, well, it points to the fact that right now we have dominion over the animals that Christ gave as a gift and during the, that God gave us as a gift. And then during the tribulation, he removes that and we don't have dominion over them anymore. So they're not scared of us no more. I don't know if that's true or not. Okay. That seems a little far-fetched. I don't know if your kitty cat's going to jump off your stairs onto your head to like attack you as you walk to the living room. Okay. Um, or if you go deer hunting and the, you know, now you become the hunted and the deer chase after you back to the truck. I, I don't know. All right. But what I do see is this, is obviously when we look at pestilence and and certain animals come together, think about rats and disease, okay? Think about mosquitoes. That's the deadliest animal. Yes, it's, it's in the animal kingdom. I know it's an insect, but insects are in the animal kingdom. It's the deadliest animal on earth is a mosquito. Why? Because it transmits disease. So I don't know the case, whether we're being attacked or whether it's through disease, but it's not good, all right? So all of this coming together, what does the Bible say? How, how many is this affected? A quarter of the earth. Did you catch that? A quarter of the earth. A fourth. 25%. So this doesn't just mean it's only going to affect a quarter of the world in a section, an area, geographically. It means it's going to affect the global population at 25%. Okay? Right now, if you look, we have about 7.9 billion people on earth right now. All right? If it took place today, by the year 2030, we're supposed to have 8.6 billion people. So let's just say by chance, generously, very generously, that there's a billion people that go up during the rapture. That'd be pretty generous. Would you agree? I mean, that'd be pretty generous. All right. That means every one in around eight or nine people are saved. I doubt it's that way. But let's just say it was. That means roughly, there's going to be roughly, if we get to 8.6, roughly 8 billion people left on earth after the rapture. Okay. So if you look at 25% being, uh, facing death due to this time of sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beast, how many is that? Two billion people. And ladies and gentlemen, we're just in probably the first year or two of the tribulation. It's bad. It's not good. I've always heard people say, oh, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, they're not too bad. It's the last three and a half. And I always believe that. And now when I read this, I'm like, who taught me that? There is nothing good about any part of this. It just goes from worse to worserer. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) There's no great time to be here after the rapture. Be ready for Jesus to come back today. Are you ready? You don't want to be here for any of this. You don't want to be left behind. Jesus made a way. I close with a passage in Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. 
And you know, we looked at all this time of scarcity that's to come. And, and like I said, I, I, as, as fearful as it might be, it's not meant to bring fear. It's meant to bring realization to God's word and understanding that we don't have to be here for that. And it give us urgency to share the gospel. But in Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, God speaking regarding end times and says this. Says God inspired the prophet Amos to record, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Loss of food and substance is bad. But loss of hope is worse. Bible says there'll come a time, not that the word of God won't be available. It said, what will be lost? A famine of what? Hears of the word. Nobody wants to listen no more. Everybody wants to go get their ears tickled and feel good. Nobody wants to hear truth and what is to come and the totality of who God is so that they can have accurate understanding of his, of his grace, his mercy, yes, but also his justice. And that he is a loving father who wants the best for us and he made a way for us if we would come to him. But the longer we ignore him, the longer we reject him, the longer we say no to him, there's gonna come a time where we're gonna look for it again and not be able to find it because it's too late. Proofs what Jesus said and says, but man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What makes you tick? What gives you life? What do you look forward to most day in, day out? Are you hanging on to the things of this world so that when you hear messages like this, you, you feel like, Oh, no. Or do you have, when you hear that Christ made a way out and we're going to spend eternity with him, do you say, oh, yes. It's the difference between being earthly-minded and heavenly-minded. Don't push away the Lord or his word or his truth anymore. Come while the Spirit is working in you right now. The Bible is very clear. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Would you come? Would you come and answer? Would that, that pull, that tug at your heart right now to get your life right, young people, teenager, to, to stop living for the things of this world and to get serious about a walk with Jesus and surrender to him? Do it now. Don't keep playing games. Jesus made a way out. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It's the message of the gospel all encapsulated in one verse. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Let me unpack that for you. For he, who's he? God, made him, who's him? Jesus, sin. He made Jesus sin? What are you talking about? Did Jesus sin? No, absolutely not. What does that mean? That means for the brief moment on the cross, he treated Jesus like he had committed every sin of every person on this earth, though he had committed none. I want you to think about that. Because he's still God when he was hanging on that cross. He was undefiled. He was the spotless lamb laying down his life for the sin of the world. Let me make it more personal. God treated him at that moment like he had lived my life and your life. God punished Jesus for your sin and my sin when he didn't do any of it. With this promise, when we come to him and surrender to him, not just believe in him with our mind, but when we come with our heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, and want to trust and commit our lives to him, 
That in that moment, when then when we confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord, we are saved because of our heart that we believe in are justified. So when we do that and we surrender and can trust our lives to him, he turns around and treats us as if we live Jesus' life. On the cross, he treated Jesus as if Jesus lived our life so that when we commit our life to him, he treats us like if we live Jesus' life. That's the doctrine of substitution, guys. It's the beautiful picture of the just dying for the unjust, of Christ making a way when we couldn't save ourselves that he became sin for us and paid the penalty that was due us. That's the gospel. So what do you get in that? You get complete and total forgiveness. You get complete and total coverage under the blood of Jesus and under his, clothed in his righteousness now. I love to look at it this way. Boy, we take our sins so lightly. When Jesus looked at that cross, he saw you. So that when it was finished, that now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Why would you reject that and sell your life for a world that won't look the same after he comes. You don't want to miss Jesus. Get it right, right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If Jesus came today, right now, would you go? Would you go? I don't mean have you been in church your whole life. I don't mean have you prayed a prayer at one time and shed a tear. I mean have you entrusted and committed your life to Jesus where you could say today, Brad, I know that I know that I know if Jesus returned today or if I took my last breath, I would be in glory with him for eternity. If that's you, great. But if there's any hesitation in you right now, any wondering right now, I need you to get it right with Jesus. Today's the day of salvation. If you want to know for sure, then know for sure today. And trust and commit your heart to him and confess him as Lord of your life. I'm going to lead you through a prayer here in a minute to do that. And I'm going to ask you to do business with the Lord right there where you're sitting and receive him for the first time. Or you say, Brad, I've been running from the Lord. It was a time where I had committed my life to him. And man, I, I, I know he was present because my life was changed. I was on fire for the Lord, but lately I've drifted away. Man, life's been tough. Life's been hard. I've been hit with some things and, and tempted with some stuff and, and given my life for the things of the world. But now, man, I want to stop playing games. I want to come running back to the cross right now and rest in that forgiveness and let him take my place. Just like the prodigal son running back to the father. I want that to be me. I'm tired of the pig slop. I want to eat at the table with my daddy. If that's you, I want you to rededicate your life to him right now. Pray that same prayer that I'm about to go through from your heart to God's heart and mean business with him. It's not the words by themselves that save you. But when your heart is right, it's committed and entrusted to the Lord, and you're ready to turn that over, those words do save you. Will you do that right now? For the first time or to rededicate, just say, dear Lord, I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Lately, I've been living for myself, for the things of this world, and it has separated me from you. And today, I want to make a change. I want to be different. I want to be new. Thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on that cross, to pay the penalty of my sin so that I could be set free, so that I could be forgiven and redeemed. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God. And he stands right now in all victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I entrust and commit my life to him and I want to stand in victory with him all the days of my life. So my commitment is this. With every breath I take and every step I make from this point forward, it's for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. 
Amen. If that's you, no one looking around right now, every head bowed, every eye still closed. If you did business with Jesus and you just got it right today, I want to pray for you. I want you to raise your hand. Say, Brad, I did it. I did it. I surrendered my life to Christ or I rededicated my life to him. And I'm not ashamed. Amen, church. Can we give Jesus the round of applause he deserves for who he is and for his word? And I want you guys to pray for me because this isn't easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Got the enemy speaking to me even after I've completed a message. And said, you keep preaching like that. Ain't nobody going to come back to his church because they don't want to hear stuff like that. And I'm praying for the opposite. I'm praying that he's a liar. And that not only you'll come back, but you'll bring somebody with you that needs to hear it. And for any that may have left because they didn't want to hear it, that God would speak to them and they would come back. It's not easy, but it's truth. And I got to preach his word. Two different times in Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel and compared him to a watchman. And said, when I give you a word... I need you to go tell my people. And when you go tell my people, if they don't repent and turn from their ways, then their blood is on them and not on you. But if I give you a word and you don't go tell them and preach it, then their blood will still be on their hands, but their blood will also be on yours. I have to. So I hope that you would be encouraged by it and know that the time is near and we need to be serious about getting our lives right with Christ and reaching other people as well. So let's take this word. Let's let it penetrate our heart and our soul. And let's go make an impact for Jesus. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.